Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We continue our series, uh, Fishing License, and uh, we've been talking about the fact that when Jesus called his first disciples, he promised them that he would make them fishers of men. He didn't say, I'm going to make you more disciplined. He didn't say, I'm going to make you better fathers. He said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I don't think they had any idea really what that meant, and that's probably not why they followed Jesus. They followed him because of his incredible miracles. They followed him probably because he was a, I think, probably a fairly magnetic person, someone that you would be drawn to. I think you, you probably took notice of Jesus. And I think that's why they followed him. Kind of like us, we don't follow because he's going to make us fishers of men. I doubt anybody in the room said that's the reason they came to Jesus is because Jesus promised to make me a fisher of men. I, I doubt that's what it was for you. We follow because he got us out of trouble. We follow because he forgave us. We follow because maybe he helped us get out of debt. There's a lot of reasons why we may follow Jesus. A lot of cool things can happen when you follow Jesus. But up front, he said to the disciples and he says to us, you know what, I'm going to do a lot of stuff for you. That's not to be questioned. You're going to go to heaven when you die. That's not to be questioned. Yay, God. But I want to make sure of something. I want, I want to make you men and women who fish for other men and women. I want to make you people who tell other people about me. In other words, I want to enable you, to equip you, to empower you to tell other people what I've done for you so that I can do it for them. And then he makes us a little nervous because he calls us to do that. And, and it's kind of hard to talk about Jesus, isn't it? I mean, it's, 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 I mean, I just said the word out loud. For some of us, it's like I'm going to talk about Jesus. You know, we can say God, we can say creator, we can say man upstairs. There's a lot of things we refer to about faith and, 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 our, and God's place in it. But we have a hard time sometimes saying out loud the word Jesus. It just kind of scares us. Now for some of you, you're new and you didn't know it, but we're supposed to talk about it. And, and your attitude might be, you know, I'm not going to talk about it. This is between me and God. Religion is a me and God kind of thing. And, and so I understand that we come at this from all different angles and we look at this from all different places. But Jesus is very clear. He says to him, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And sure enough, you read the story and that's exactly what they were doing. They went out and they caught men. They told other men and women about Jesus who told other men and women about Jesus who told other men and women about Jesus. And here we are 2,000 years later all because somebody talked about it. All because somebody said, hey, let me tell you who Jesus is. And we said that one of the reasons we have to talk about it is that our message is not an intuitive message. You, you would not sit under a tree somewhere and come up with the idea, oh, I think that Jesus came and died on a cross and forgave me for my sins. You might, if you just sat under a tree and thought about it a while, you might come to a place where you believed in God you might think that there was good and evil. You might think those kind of things. But the idea that you're going to understand that Jesus died for your sins, see, the problem with that is that's history. That's something that happened in history. The crucifixion is a historical thing. Christianity is not built on a bunch of doctrines and philosophies and, and concepts. Christianity is not about necessarily having this ex elevated sense of morality, and it's not about uh, all these ethics, it's, it, I mean, all that kind of comes with it, but Christianity is about something that happened in history. And the only way you know history is if somebody tells you about history. See, the only way you know anything about the Civil War is somebody told you about the Civil War. The only way you know about your family tree, if you learned something about your grandmother, your great-grandmother, somebody had to sit you down 
and tell you this is what granny said many years ago or this is when they moved to Indiana or this is when they moved out of the state. So consequently, we have to talk about it. And the message of Christianity is, is something that is communicated person to person. So we have to fish. Now last week when I sent you out, I sent you out hopefully with, with the idea that you were going to pray a prayer. At some point in your day, I wanted you to pray the prayer, Lord, enable me to speak your word with great boldness. We even said it together. You know, I, I wanted you to go out just, I'd love for that to become a lifestyle prayer for you. Lord, enable me to speak your word with boldness. And here's the thing. The tendency is to think that if I'm going to speak the Lord's word with boldness, that it's just a me thing, that it's a solo mission, that you're going to do this pretty much on your own. You know, we, and we, we, we do this deal. We, we think that we've got to go out, we've got to go to the neighbor's house and say, hey, it's a beautiful sunset. You know, God made the sunset. Speaking of God. And your neighbor's looking at you like, what, are, you, are you weird? What's wrong with you? And it's just awkward. And we try to find some way to segue into talking about God. And we, you know, we plant books and we plant CDs and do all this crazy stuff. And it's just awkward. We fumble around. And maybe you can relate to this. Sometimes we talk about it and we are so uncomfortable, we make them uncomfortable, right? And they're, they're just looking at us like we've got four heads or something. Like, what is wrong with this person? And then our message gets really confusing, I don't, I don't know if you've ever, ever taken the time to look at it from the position of someone who hasn't grown up in church and didn't learn the way you did, but just let me help you understand a little bit. Our message gets confusing. We start talking about Genesis and creation, and there's two Josephs, and there's three Johns, and there's a Paul, but he was a Saul, and then you get to Revelation, there's a bunch of horses and an Antichrist, and, you know, what do you think? And they look back at us and they, they want to say, I think you're nuts. That's what I think. And we get so freaked out. And, and the temptation is to think, I've got to go out and do this all by myself. Here's the great news. Fishing was never intended to be a solo mission. It wasn't just intended to be something that you have to do by yourself. It's not even something that you have to do in pairs, although that happens even today, and I'm not suggesting that that's a completely, um, what word am I looking for, ineffective way to do it. It's a scary thing when you're on stage and you cannot put your hands on the single one little word you want. So that's part of it. You know, we can, be, we can maybe be effective if we go to, in teams and we, we try to talk to somebody. Maybe that works somewhere. I don't even think that works all that well. But the primary way this thing works is we have been called to partner with other people in order to get the job done. And I want, to get, uh, I want you to get this this morning because this is really important. If you're new to us, I'm going to explain kind of, kind of who we are as a church, what's important to us, and, and why we do certain things the way we do them, and, and why I believe God has blessed us. So to kind of give you a hint as to what's going to happen, I, it's where we're going. This is a message that is not urgent. You know, I, I realize you've got to pay the bills. You, you've got um, kids to raise. You've got other things on your mind. This is not the most an urgent thing in your world, but it's a very, very important thing, and I hope to highlight that this morning, especially for those of us who want to take seriously our responsibility to fish because we're scared to death, and we don't think we're going to do it right, and we chicken out every time. So if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Matthew, 
I want to talk about partnering. I want to talk about fishing partners or fishing buddies. And if, you're a, if you have a fishing partner, you know then how to leverage things with your partner to, to make things better. You make it unnecessarily difficult on yourself if you don't have a partner. So that's what we're talking about this morning. In, verse, in chapter 16 of Matthew, Jesus says some monumental things in this one little conversation with the disciples. And, and so I want to talk about Matthew for a minute. You know, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just to give you some idea of what's going on with that, maybe you wonder to yourself, why did they put four guys telling the same exact story about Jesus? I, I, I explain it to people like this. It would be like four of us, be like sending all of you to the, the uh, Indiana State basketball game. And the game ends in overtime, and it ends on a last-second shot. And we all come back together, and I bring you up on stage. I bring four of you up on stage. And I say, now give me your account of what happened in the basketball game. Probably all of you would tell me about overtime. Probably all of you would tell me about the last-second shot. Somebody would probably talk about the popcorn. Some dude would probably talk about the cheerleaders. You know, that's what he's going to remember about the game. Somebody else is going to remember that the coach got a technical foul, and somebody else would remember something about the home-and-away uniforms. You might remember certain details and leave other details out, and that's kind of what the, disciple, the, the writers of the Gospels do. But what you get is you get the perspective of four different people, and you get those perspectives through their human person. I mean, it, it, the way Matthew does it's different than the way Luke does it. Luke's very detailed and very... Uh, you know, gives you a lot of detail, and another guy maybe doesn't. They tell sometimes the exact same story. Some stories are included by all of them. Some stories are only included by a couple. So that's what's going on with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew is the first one, and Matthew was a tax collector. So in the eyes of many, Matthew's not even worthy in, in his day and age. They, he, they didn't even look at Matthew as being worthy to be a religious person at all. And, and God let him write a book of the Bible. So if you know that, you've got to be sitting there thinking to yourself, well, there's hope for me right? I mean, if, if they let Matthew write a book of the Bible, who knows what God could do in your life? So um, God can use you if he can use Matthew. So while you're turning to Matthew, maybe you're here and you're not a church person and you're, you're still trying to figure out why you're here. Maybe somebody promised you to, they'd take you to dinner. Maybe they promised you there'd be hot women or hot guys here that you could ask out. I don't know what you're doing here. They dragged you. I'm really glad you came. Um, I'm glad you're here. However, you got here, why ever you got here, I'm glad you got here because we're going to talk about what the church is supposed to be, what it's supposed to look like, and we're going to talk about why some of you have maybe been turned off to church. We're going to talk about why maybe some of you don't want to come to church. So I want to talk about our opportunity and our responsibility to, have, to, to fish with a partner. Here we go, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, and you should try this tomorrow when you go to lunch. Who do people say the Son of Man is? Try this tomorrow when you sit down at lunch. You have all your friends around. You stop them in the middle of the conversation. You say, guys, I want to ask you a question. Guys, listen to me. Who do people say I am? Who do, who, who do people say that I am? What's the word on the street about me? Let's start with you, Mary, and John, you. I want to hear what you have to say. Let's go around the room, and let, I want everybody to tell me what, what's being said about me on the street. And they're going to look at you really strange. 
And they're not going to want to hurt your feelings, but they're basically, their message is going to be, dude, nobody's talking about you. The only person talking about you is you. Nobody else knows you exist outside this circle of people, right? There's no word on the street about you, good or bad. So it's a strange thing Jesus is asking his disciples. What are people saying about me? Now, he could ask this question because everybody then, as now, had an opinion about who Jesus was and who Jesus is. Jesus was not a neutral subject. You either loved Jesus or you hated Jesus. You either found him to be irresistible or you found him to be incredibly irritating. That's how it was then. That's kind of how it is now. People either want to hear about Jesus or they don't want his name to be spoken. So Jesus says, what's, what's the word about me on the street? What do, who do people say that I am? It's an interesting question. Verse 14. They replied, some say John the Baptist. Now John the Baptist had just died a few months earlier, so that's kind of a strange answer. And he goes on, others say Elijah. So there's some belief in reincarnation or some kind of thing going on. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So Jesus, the word on the street is that you're definitely from God, you definitely have a message for your people, and they definitely think that you've been reincarnated as one of these guys or in the spirit of one of these guys. Not really sure about how all that works, but they know you're from God, but the fact is there are a lot of different rumors on the street about who you are. But you're right, people are talking about you, and they either love you or they hate you. And then Jesus asked the question. This is the question, and if you're here this morning and you're, you know, this whole spirituality thing, you're not really sure, you haven't totally bought into Jesus, you don't know what you believe and what you don't believe, if you're here and that describes you, maybe you've got questions like, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? Maybe your thing is, is what about famines? What about floods? What about all these people don't have food? What about, um, what, is the Bible written by men? I mean, where'd the Bible come from? Maybe you've got all those questions, and those are good questions. I'm not saying that those aren't good questions. They are. But as you work through all those questions, the question that you eventually have to settle in your mind, the thing that you've got to figure out is the thing that Jesus asked them, what about you? What about you, he asked. What, who do you say I am? You've seen me. You've heard me. Real time. It's just us. Who do you think I am? Now let me just tell you, if you're here and you're checking all this out and you're wondering about Jesus and you're not sure yet, this is the question that you will have to answer for yourself. It's the same question they asked of Pilate. You know, it's, you know what will you do with Jesus? Not how many people wrote the Bible, not are there errors, not can we talk, you know, we'll talk about all that kind of stuff. All those kind of questions have their place, but the question is, who is Jesus? And he says to these guys, okay, who do you think I am? You think I'm some kind of reincarnated prophet? Is that what you think? Who do you say I am? And then all of a sudden, Peter, and you have to understand, this was not normal for Peter, but he gets the right answer, okay? It's not common, but even a blind squirrel finds a nut now and then, and and Peter kind of did. And so this is a huge moment in history. It's a big moment. This is a big deal. The guys are gathered there in the moment, and they have no idea how significant is the conversation that is happening. They don't have any idea, certainly didn't know that years from now we would gather in a room and talk about this. Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
In other words, that's who I have concluded, two and a half feet away, same beard, same dress style, but I've watched you, Jesus, and I've listened to you. And I've come to the conclusion that you are not a reincarnated prophet. You aren't somebody that supposedly came back from the dead. You aren't simply sent here by God. You are the one that we've been waiting for for a couple of thousand years. You are the anointed Messiah, unique, one of a kind, son of the living God. That's who I think you are. Jesus replied, ding, 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 (laughs) because Peter got it right. No, that's not what he said. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, listen to what he calls him, Simon, son of Jonah, because that's his name. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. In other words, you didn't come up with this on your own. You got the right answer, but you had help with the right answer. Verse 18, and I tell you, and then Jesus does the strangest thing. And I tell you that you are Peter, to which Simon would have said, Jesus, that's not my name. And Jesus would have said, well, we're changing your name because this is a historic moment. This is kind of a -a one-of-a-kind instance. You got the right answer of all right answers, and we're going to mark the occasion. I'm going to change your name. Now, when when you change an adult's name, that's a big deal. Think about it. We have little kids, and they get nicknames when they're little kids. I mean, that that happens all the time. You've probably got a nickname, and if you do, you probably got it when you were little. Typically speaking, adults don't get nicknames. Now, we, we, you might have gotten one as an adult. Doesn't make you a bad guy. Just means you did. But most of us, we don't get our nicknames when we're big. We get our nicknames when we're little. But Jesus announces to these guys, from now on, he is not going to be Simon, son of Jonah. From now on, his name is Peter. And we, we would not know this because for us, Peter is a common name. I mean, I, I have a dog for crying out loud, named Peter. But did you know that in Greek and Roman literature, up until the moment Jesus refers to this man as Peter, no one was ever called Peter. There's no record of anybody being called Peter. This was not a name. This is like somebody saying, we're going to name you Stone. Now, we've got Rocky, right? we got Rocky. There's only, Stone Phillips is the only stone I've ever seen, right? I mean, and I don't Whatever happened to him? Somebody Google that. Let me know. Not now. Not now. Stay with me. Yeah, we're going to call you Stone. Well, that's not my name. Well, it is now. We're marking the moment. From now on, this is Stone. Everybody say hi to Stone. And he took a word that means a rock. It doesn't mean big rock. It means little rock. It means the kind of rock you would find on the side of the road. The kind of rock you can hold in your hand the kind of rock that you might sharpen a knife with. That's that's the word he uses. He said, from now on, we're going to call you rock, not big, huge rock, rock you can hold in your hand. This is strange. He makes up a new name for this guy. It's like me looking at you and saying, from now on, we're going to call you plexiglass. You would say, thanks, but no thanks, right? Right? After this, people started calling their kids Peter. And then look what happens next. This is huge, verse 18. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this, and there's a lot of discussion about what this refers to, and on this rock, and and here he uses a different form of the word. 
He uses the word rock that would describe cliffs or mountainsides or, or uh, something that, that's a tomb, something that the, the immovable kind of rock, the kind that you certainly cannot lift. And he says, Peter, you are now going to be named rock like you would hold in your hand. And on this, and theologians have argued for years over what this means. Is he talking about Peter or is he talking about something else? And on this big, giant, immovable rock, I will, future tense, means it hasn't started yet, I will build my, which means it belongs to him, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, another way of saying the gates of hell, future tense, will not overcome it. This is the beginning. This marked a moment in time. And here's Jesus saying, Peter, you got the right answer. I am the Christ. I'm the promised Messiah. I am the son of the living God. And on that statement, on this big, giant, immovable, can't get your arms around it, larger than life, no one will ever be able to do anything about it statement. On this one simple truth, I am going to, in the future, I'm going to build my church. He uses this word church. Now, we hear that and we immediately think of something like this. And if you grew up going to church, you have this idea that I'm going to get up and put on my clothes and, and I'm going to go where there's a cross on the building and we're going to go in and sing songs to Jesus and somebody's going to yell at me and that's what we're going to do. That's maybe what your experience was. We, we've got an idea, a preconceived idea about what church is. This little Greek word, church, is not, when, when Jesus uses it, is not a religious word. And it's hard for us to comprehend this because we, we, we weren't in this culture, but the little word ecclesia was a little Greek word, church. In Greek literature, it's used many times to describe the voting citizens of a town. So if you wanted to call the church together, if you said, let's get the church together, Another word might be assembly or congregation. Then, then if you said, let's get the church together, all the people who were registered to vote or were eligible to vote, they, were, they would be the ones that would show up. Not, it had no religious connotation. And this is huge. Jesus is saying, guys, I want you to mark this moment. From now on, this is stone. And on this statement that he's made, I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. I want you guys to know I'm about to launch a movement. I'm about to begin a brand new group. I'm going to form a new congregation, a brand new citizenship. And the common denominator for all this will be, that, that will be a part of this congregation or this assembly, the common ground will not be their nationality. It will not be the language they speak. It won't be their denomination. It won't be their tradition. The common ground will be the statement that Stone over here just said that we're never going to forget that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, and in the future I'm going to build a new thing, a new group, a new assembly, and in, on that one single statement, and guys, mark it down, Matthew, I'm going to go slow so you can get this, and the gates of hell, that means no matter what gets thrown at it, nothing will be able to stop it. It will build and build and grow and grow. Whew. And I think that those guys that Jesus was talking to, these 10 or 12 disciples, you know, they're kind of looking around at one another and they might have crossed their arms and said, well, Jesus, that's some mighty powerful words you just said there. Build your church, build your congregation, your assembly. That sounds impressive, but Jesus, I'm counting one, two, three, four. There's, there's 12 of us. 
Little did they know. Now listen, I know that not, in a room this size, not everybody in here is fully on board. I know there's got to be somebody that's a little skeptical, you know, a little skeptical about the Bible and who Jesus was, and, but you have to get the picture. There in this dusty Middle Eastern community, an unknown son of a carpenter with a ragtag bunch of fishermen and a zealot and a tax collector and some random people, he said, just mark it down because it hadn't started yet, but in the future there's going to be a new group and I'm going to build it and nothing can stop it. And the common ground will be this one statement, the fact that I am, promise statement, I am the son of the living God. And here we are 2,000 years later. Two-thirds of the world's population believes that Jesus was the only and original Son of God. Different languages, different cultures, different traditions, different ways of doing baptism, different ways of dressing, different ways of doing music, different ways of doing communion, different ways of approaching theology, different seminaries, different schools, different tongues, different tribes, different languages, differences everywhere. Get us all in the same room, the Catholics, the Baptists, the Episcopalian, the Presbyterian, the Charismatic, and ask, what do you guys have in common? And there is only one thing. We all believe that Jesus is the Christ. He was unique from God, Messiah, the Son of the living God. That is the one thing that holds us together. It is the foundation, the focal point, the starting point that Jesus predicted would become his assembly, his citizenship, his, his, his congregation, his church. Is that unbelievable? Think about it just from one statement. And it didn't start until he died. After he was out of the picture, it began, and here we are. You know what he promised? He said, I am going to build. And when he said build, he didn't mean go deep. He said, it's going to grow out. I'm going to build. It's going to get wider and wider and wider. And more people are going to hear and more people are going to learn. And there's going to be this many and then this many and then this many. And then every generation that comes, there will be more and more and more. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation that has heard the, the message, the message that ties it all together, that Jesus is the Christ, the promised Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you can't stop it. And let's face it, corruption, financial scandal, bad leadership, the Inquisition, the Crusades, the interpretation of Scripture, all kinds of factions, all kinds of church divisions. The church has been fraught with every kind of problem you can think of. And it just keeps going and going and going. And it's been persecuted. Nations have tried to stamp it out. Communism tried to educate it out. Every kind of opposition imaginable and 2,000 years later it goes on and on and on because the son of God said I'm going to build my church and you can believe or not believe you can participate or not participate but nothing is going to stop my work and someday people from every nation every tribe every tongue will say with all the rest of the people who believe that the common denominator the one thing that holds us all together Jesus Christ the son of the living God unbelievable now here's the question here's what i want to spend just a couple of minutes talking about before we get ready to go home you have two things going on you have on the one hand jesus says go fish and on the other hand he says i'm going to build my church okay so 
So we're trying, you know, Jesus, we're trying to fish, but we're scared. We don't like it. We don't know what to do. So we're trying to fish. And then on the other hand, he's saying, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church. Here's the question. What's the connection between those two things? What's the relationship between my individual responsibility to fish and Jesus over here building his church no matter what? And here's the beauty. And, and, And I'll just tell you, this is the thing that makes me love you and makes me love you as a church. Uh, we're going to get into that in just a minute because the, the church is and has always supposed to have been a partner in the fishing business. And for years and years and generations and generations, church leaders, I think, have missed this. But whenever people begin to get this, suddenly the church flourishes. See, for the longest time, the, the church philosophy has been this, that they would look at someone like me, a churchgoer, and they would say, Brett, you, you go out there and fish and you help people become Christians and then once you make a Christian out of them, you bring them to church. And we all went, okay, uh, great commission. All right, I'm gonna muster up and I'm gonna get my courage and I'm gonna tell you about Jesus. And then we would chicken out, right? We'd get right up to the point where we were gonna say, Jesus, we couldn't do it. But see, it's hard for us, not for all of us. For some of you, this just comes naturally for some of you. Some of you, you walk into a convenience store, people get saved, right? You walk down the street, people run out of their front doors, tell me what must I do to be saved. You get on an airplane, what can I do to have eternal life? But that's not true for most of us. We're scared. We don't want to talk talk about this in public. It's crazy. It's just stressful. And most of the people over the years have been scared, and, and they didn't like it. They, they didn't feel good about it, so we just, we just didn't do it. And the last thing you wanted to do, if you were able to convince somebody to come to Jesus, you didn't want to take them to your church. Are you kidding me? You would be apologizing before you took them. Now, I just want to tell you before we go in, whoa. You know, you just think about that. It's like, oh, I wouldn't want to do that. Because it was confusing. It was scary. Stuff might happen that was just bad. Stuff that would happen that we, we got because it was our culture and we grew up in it. We understood it because it was just like, yeah, I mean, I can see where you being a visitor, that's weird, but I get that because I've done that every week for 20 years. But a visitor watches it and goes, what is that? And then you might have Aunt Mabel and the harmonica band get on the stage and share her giftedness with you. And you just want to look at the person you brought with you and go, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm really sorry for what's going on right now. You're looking at your watch like, when is this going to be over? And no fun. You can't clap. Don't smile. Don't laugh out loud. Little kids can't run in the building. Nothing exciting or extraordinary ever happened. I've heard stories from friends who brought friends with them to other churches and how they cringed at what was being said. And how they wanted to hide because certain things were happening. And then you have preachers. I'm going to bash preachers for a minute. I am one, so I can do that. Who think that, you know, it's their job to point this big bony long finger at everybody and make everybody think that they don't ever do anything wrong and that they should never be called into question. And they're certainly above reproach and they're always right. Not. I mean, 
I'm living proof, you guys, that if God can use me as a preacher, he can use you to do anything, okay? Now, if you grew up with all that, it just seemed natural. It was a part of your culture. It's like, no, I, I go to church, I understand, but if you brought a guest from the outside, you're, you're apologizing before you ever walk in the door. Okay, I just want to let you know there's going to be some weird stuff happening in here. Just try to overlook it, okay? Just, just try to overlook it. And he's, he's standing there thinking, why did you bring me in the first place? For years and years, and still to this day, sadly, there are churches that do not understand their mission and their responsibility to partner with people in the fishing process. And sadly, some of them are working against the fishing process. Some of you, you were raised in a church where they didn't ever encourage you to go tell somebody about Jesus. You were, inter- you were encouraged to go serve. You were encouraged to go love people, but you weren't encouraged to go win people and bring them back to church with you. It's not that you didn't care about Jesus. It's not that they didn't care, or, or that you didn't care about other people. It's not that they didn't care about other people. They cared. So consequently, you just never really thought all that much about it. And, and you, you wouldn't have really wanted to bring them to your church anyway. I mean, you would have thought, I don't really want to do that. Because if you really love somebody, or think about it, did you really want to take them to church? You didn't want to make them mad at you. Make, make, yeah, make, have them be mad at you. You might have even said, I care about you. I love you so much. I'm not going to take you to church. I just want you to believe in Jesus. So consequently, and, and I'm, I know I'm painting this in extremes. I know I am. I'm doing it on purpose. But isn't it true? Oftentimes the church wasn't a partner in the fishing business. The church sometimes even worked against us. Because if people accidentally showed up at church, they were convinced it wasn't for them. They didn't want to go back. A lot of you, you you came here for the first time thinking, if this is church like every other church I've been to, I don't want to go. And you came and it was different. And you said, well, I'll go back. Because see, when you left church a long time ago, you left whatever that was, and you never wanted to go back to it. So on the one hand, I'm out here fishing. On the other hand, the church is not helping me. But something happened for me about 14 years ago, about the time I became the pastor of this church. About that time, there was a lot of upheaval in my own personal life. God was bringing new and interesting people into my life, people that I'd never been around before. I was, I was being taken to events, conferences and things. I was being taught things that I'd never been taught before. I was, the world was opening up for me in terms of, I mean, I've been in the church my whole life. I'd worked for the church my whole life, but 14 years ago, I'm seeing and hearing all this different stuff, and I, God was preparing me for what we would become, I think, as a church. Uh, some people that spoke, helped me to understand what church was supposed to look like, and and the idea that, Brett, you, you may have to make a few people mad. I mean, you don't want to do it on purpose. You want to love everybody, but this is important. And, and you can't let somebody's feelings get in the way of the fact that somebody doesn't know Jesus. And you've got to pin your ears back. And, and I, we were going to Leadership Summit and Catalyst. And I've told you how Catalyst has changed our church. It's learned so much. And it changed my understanding of the church's responsibility and mission and the church's strategy to be a partner in the fishing business. And I learned two things. I learned, first of all, that it was possible to create environments that unchurched people would want to attend. That 
even if they didn't believe what we believed, that they might come back the next week to hear because they enjoyed the environment. I learned that. And I, I secondly, I learned, and probably more importantly, I learned that you can get unchurched people, if you can get them in a community that's loving one another and walking with one another and caring for each other and being real, that kind of community breaks down barriers to belief. It strips away objections. You know, they come in with how do bad things happen to good people? Listen, that's a legitimate question, and I understand that, but when you're around people who are in community who love each other and are there for each other and walk with each other and forgive each other, pray for one another, serve one another, when you're around that all the time, the edges get a lot softer. Those questions aren't nearly as hard to swallow. So we started to change our environment to do things a little differently. And do you know who I got all the resistance from? Church people. Church people. But I wish I had a dollar for every time I've had somebody walk up to me and look me in the eye, often through tears. And they thank me for this church. And they say, Brett, I never wanted to go to church because I didn't think church was a real place. Because I thought it was just full of a bunch of hypocrites. And then I realized that we're all hypocrites. And I realized that we all need Jesus. And I came here and people were real and they didn't act like they didn't have any problems. They got problems just like I do. See, I talk about you all the time. I talk about you all the time. And when I talk about you, do you know what I say? I say it's the most beautiful group of people you'll ever see in your life. Not because they're pretty. Because some of you aren't, okay? It's just... It's just <laughs> But I've had visitors, and I've pointed, and they'll say, you know, this place is different. What makes this place different? And I'll point to you as you're greeting one another and talking after church or whatever. I say, you see all these people? Every one of them's broken. Every one of them's messed up. They're real people. Nobody's going to leave here today and have it all figured out and have it all together. They're just like you. That's why I love you. That's why I think this is the most beautiful church in the world because you don't have it all figured out. Look, we're never going to get it all figured out, but we are real. And the love of Jesus is a real thing and it takes away our imperfections and all of our sins and all the bad stuff. And I don't care what the other churches think about us. I really don't care. We're always going to be real. We're always going to hold out the hope to other people that Jesus can change your life. And I'm not going to try and control your behavior. I'm not going to try and tell you how to behave. That's not my job. My job is to tell you that God is absolutely crazy for you. That he loves you. And so when people look at me with tears in their eyes and they say, Brett, this place means everything to me. I never thought I would be a person who said the name of Jesus in a positive way. And so I'm going to do my best. Our elders are going to do their best to create environments that allow people to partner with us, to bring the person they're trying to lead to Jesus. And when they get here, we are going to do everything we can to make sure people know that there is a living God and he's real and he loves them. Because when that happens, their belief system begins to change. Everything begins to change. Not because we confronted them, not because we tried to control their behavior look i'm not trying to control your behavior 
but because they are in the presence of the Son of God. Being in the church is as close as you will ever get in your life to being in the presence of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And there's something extraordinarily powerful about taking an unbelieving person and inviting them into a community of believers that is acting like a community of believers. It's as close as they will ever get to being in the very presence of God. Bill Hybel says there's nothing like the local church when the local church is doing its thing. The local church is the hope of the world. Now I want to read one passage of Scripture and then we're going to close. This is Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. Listen to this very carefully. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Don't miss this. Where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Here's what that means. That means when people gather together, on official Jesus business, okay? It's not just, hey, we're gonna come and sing some songs. No, we're coming on official Jesus business. Things happen. There's a phrase that we use around here, and I haven't used it in a while, and if you're new to us, this might be a new phrase to you, but I wanna refresh the phrase. It's invest and invite. Invest and invite. Here's what I know about you. There are people in your world that God has strategically lined you up with, and you're the only person If they're ever going to hear about Jesus, you are their only hope. And Jesus is calling you to fish for them. And what I want you to do, I want you to invest in that relationship. I don't want you to take advantage. I don't want you to do something untoward. I just want you to invest in a relationship that God has already established between you and somebody. Invest in that relationship and then invite them to church. Tell them about Jesus and then say, I want you to come to our church where you can hear more about Jesus. And here's what I can promise you. When they walk through the door, we're going to do everything we can to knock it out of the park to be as relevant as we can be. The music is going to be as good as we can make it. We're doing everything we can to be as good as we can be. Here's what I want you to know. We don't just have people watching babies in the nursery. They are partnered with us so you can invite your friend to church and they can leave their baby in the nursery for a few minutes and have a few minutes peace and be taught about Jesus. We don't just have youth ministry and take care of a bunch of kids. We are partnered with you so that when you bring your guest and they have kids, they can have a youth ministry and a youth pastor who tells their kids about Jesus. So when they leave, the goal is that they leave and go, Mom and Dad, can we go back? We love that. We're partnered with you in the fishing business. I want you to know as you leave here, you leave here with us praying for you every single week that you would be bold that you would invest and invite, that you would bring your friends, and that when you do, God makes us way better than we ever were on our own. God has used me to do things that on my own I'm not good enough to do, but when God gets a hold of me and he puts the right person in the room, something can happen. That's what we're praying for. So don't miss it. Two things I want you to do. I want you to invest and invite, and I want you to strategically serve. Ask yourself, where am I investing and inviting, and am I strategically serving this community? You need to say yes to both of those things. We need you to say yes to both of those things because we are partners in the fishing business. If you're here, you've never given your life to Jesus, I want you to know something. You are not going to go to heaven because you're good enough. 
Good people do not go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. And if you have never received the gift of forgiveness, and I'm talking about a cognizant where you stand before God and say, God, I'm a sinner in need of your grace. I need your forgiveness. I want it. If you've never done that, you need to do it. And this is a place where you can do it. This isn't about being good enough. This is about being forgiven. If you've never done that, we invite you this morning. I would love to talk to you about that. If you're not ready, you don't want to do it in front of all these people, I get that. Come find me. We'll sit and have a conversation. Anybody in here could tell you their story about how they came to Jesus. And they're, they're all freaking out right now. They're thinking, no, not me. No. If you've come to Jesus, listen to me. If you've come to Jesus, you should know how to tell somebody how you did it. Okay? If there's no conversion, there's no conversion story. And if there's no conversion story, there was no conversion. So you should be able to tell somebody about how you came to Jesus. Let's bow. The band's going to come out and pray, and then something really cool is going to happen in a minute. You're going to get your face rocked off. Okay, get ready. Let's pray. God, I just want to give you thanks for this amazing, beautiful church. And you've knit it together and you've made it and you've put it in this place. And it's not good because the elders are good. It's not good because the pastor is good. It's not good because the band is good. It's good because you're good. It's good because you, you love us. All of our imperfections, and God, we could, we could fill the world with our imperfections this morning. There's none of us in here perfect. But God, we come clinging to one hope this morning, and that is that you are the Son of the living God that your death on the cross takes our sin as far as the east is from the west, that you are filled with mercy and compassion and grace and forgiveness. And it is that that has changed our life. So Father, for the one that's in the room this morning, and they, they, they're new, they don't know what you're all about, they don't get it, they thought it's all about how well they can behave, I pray you'd help them to see that Jesus on the cross thing, it's all for them. It's all about forgiveness. It's all about mercy and grace. God, we love you. And with one accord in the room this morning, we tell you that we love you. We worship you. We adore you. We honor you. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray.